0: Well, this morning we're beginning a new series, which I've entitled Kingdom Principles. We're going to be talking about the kingdom of God, or sometimes referred to as the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said in Luke four forty three, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And so most of Jesus' teaching focused on the kingdom of God, and so If that's what Jesus talked a lot about, we also need to talk about the kingdom of God as well. We mustn't neglect it. Now, the kingdom of God is not an earthly kingdom. Uh, It's not located in a certain nation uh, at this point. The kingdom of God will not be a government that rules over a certain land mass. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. But we, as human beings, can become part of the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us how in John 3.3, 3, speaking to Nicodemus, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So a human being must be, as Jesus said, born again in order to see and actually enter into the kingdom of God. And so when a person is born again, they become a child of God. They become part of God's spiritual family, and they become citizens of the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God isn't a kingdom that only is going to last so long. The kingdom of God is going to last forever. It's an eternal kingdom. And those who are followers of Jesus, those who are disciples, are citizens, therefore, of an eternal kingdom. In fact, that's really what eternal life is all about, being citizens of the kingdom of God. Now, today I've entitled the message, we're going to be talking about one of the principles of the kingdom, and I have entitled the message as a question. Should you, should we fear God? Should we fear God? Now, Some people say, no, you know, God is love. Why should we fear God? So some would say no. But we're going to see what the Bible has to say about that. We're going to be looking at some teaching of Jesus about how we are to live by kingdom principles, what the fear of God is all about. So if you're a believer here this morning, uh, this message is for you. If you're not a believer, you're going to learn more today if you're watching online about how to become a believer. I'm going to look at one verse from the Old Testament before we move to Jesus' teaching. It's Proverbs 1.7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. As I said before, many people think that fear is bad. Fear is not a good thing. But there actually is a good fear. There's really only one good fear, and that is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, what's good about it? It says it's the beginning of knowledge, it leads us to understand God better. It's speaking of the knowledge of God. Oftentimes, the fear of the Lord is explained away. You say, well, it's just kind of an, a reverence for God. You know, we're really not, it's really not fear like we fear something. It's, it's just simply having an awe or reverence of God. And we should have an awe. We should have a reverence of God. But as we're going to see from Jesus' teaching, uh, the word fear means fear. Uh, it means to be af- uh, be afraid under certain circumstances. There are two basic types of fear of the Lord. The first is the fear of the Lord regarding this life that's going to keep us from sinning. The New Testament teaches us that we reap what we sow. And so if we sow things that are not good in our lives, we're going to reap basically God's judgment for those sins in our lives. And that understanding of God, what God brings upon us, reaping what we've sown should keep us from sinning in life. The second type of fear of God has to do with eternity, life after we pass on. Eternity has two and only two destinations. Some people think there's a third one. The Bible does not teach any more than two destinations. The first is heaven. It's an a place of spending eternity with God. It's a place of almost indescribable joy, in the presence of God and his angels, with other believers who have passed on before. The second place is also an eternal place. And it's a place of unimaginable terror, unimaginable pain, without God. Torment. And so any rational person, if you had a choice to make, where you wanted to spend eternity, which one would you choose? Well, you would choose heaven. In fact, I think, I haven't looked at the polls recently, something like 98% of people in the United States think that they are going where? To heaven! Of course, because that is the best place by far. In fact, uh, the unimaginable horror of spending eternity never-ending in torment, both mental, physical, and whatever other torment may be there is an almost unthinkable thought. Uh, And so many people are trying to explain away hell because it's just such a fearful notion. But today we're going to learn more from Jesus about why we should fear God. And Jesus speaks of hell. In fact, he speaks of hell quite a bit. We're going to have uh, one instance of that today. The fear of God leads to blessing in this life and blessing in eternity. Now, we are to fear God alone, to fear God alone or fear God only. Our story begins in Luke chapter 12. Jesus began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. So Jesus begins by instructing his disciples something that they should be careful about. Around them were the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and Jesus called them hypocrites. A hypocrite is someone who acts differently on the outside than they are within. And so the Pharisees acted as if they were very righteous, very holy people, but inside, Jesus said they were full of Greed and evil, they were full of sin. And then Jesus begins to talk here about eternity in what we have to fear. He says nothing is covered up that will not be revealed. You see, the Pharisees tried to cover up their sin by doing outward things to seek people's approval. And Jesus is saying that the things they were trying to cover up on Judgment Day is going to be revealed for all to see. Anything that they try to hide is going to be made known. And so the disciples were cautioned against allowing that type of thinking, allowing that type of behavior, the behavior of the Pharisees, to influence their lives. Leaven spreads easily in dough, so they needed to be careful. They shouldn't be influenced by the hypocrites around them. Jesus continues talking about judgment in verse 4. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So Jesus tells us whom we are, first of all, not to fear. We are not to fear someone who would kill our physical body. Because what would be the result of that? We would simply enter into the Lord's presence in heaven. That's the worst they can do to us. We are to fear one person alone. We are to fear God. Why? Because God is the judge of all. And he has the authority to send a person not to heaven, but, well, he has the authority to send a person to heaven, and he has authority to send a person to hell. Now, in this verse, if I'm counting correctly, the word fear is repeated a number of times. We are not to fear those who kill the body. We are to feel, fear him, that's God, who has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. He's repeating it multiple times that we are to have this fear of God. The greatest tragedy, tragedy that could ever happen to a human being is to spend eternity in torment and hell Outside of the presence of God. You see, even in this life. Even an unbeliever. Experiences good things from God. Because God causes the sun to shine. God gives people things to eat. He provides for people. Even those who do not believe in him. His presence. is here. Is here. And this whole world, there's no place anyone can go to escape his presence. But in hell, there is no presence of God. And that is the most terrifying thing of hell. Verse 6 and 7, Jesus goes on to say, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. So God cares deeply about his creation, all of it, even the animals, even the birds, he talks about here. So God, Jesus tells us, first of all, we are to fear God who can cast a person into hell. And here he tells us to fear not. Perhaps, not perhaps, surely both are true. Uh, there is something we are to fear. God as the judge of all things to keep us walking close to Him. When I walk close with Him in this life. We want to walk close with Him right on into eternity in heaven. And as we walk close to God, we have no need to fear. God cares about even the sparrows that are all over the place. He feeds them. He takes care of them. And surely he will take care of us in this life. We don't need to fear that he's not going to take care of us. In fact, he cares so much about us that he counts our hairs every morning. He has to count them every morning because the next morning there's going to be fewer, right? So um, it always is a changing number. He cares about every detail of our lives. And so we are to fear God alone. So a lot of people actually, and we are tempted to do the exact opposite, to do the exact opposite of what Jesus is teaching. As I said, 98% of some people in America believe that they're going to heaven. They really have no fear of hell because they're not going there, or they don't even believe in such a place. They have no real fear of God think everything's going to be fine in this life or in the life to come for them. And yet in this life, they worry about everything. They're fearful of what's going to happen. They're fearful that their money might run out or they're fearful that something else bad might happen or they might lose their jobs or relationship troubles. But God is telling us the exact opposite. We need to fear God alone. And when we do that, We have no need to fear anything else. We have no need to worry about anything because God will take care of us. So as we walk close to Jesus, we don't need to have any other fear other than our fear of God. We don't need to worry about anything. When we truly fear God, we become fearless. There's nothing that we need to be afraid of. And that's The message that Jesus was seeking to teach his disciples 2,000 years ago, and he's seeking to teach us this morning. When we fear God alone, we can fearlessly witness for Jesus. Verse 8, Jesus says, and I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. So again, Jesus is directing our attention not just to this life, but to judgment day. To acknowledge Jesus before men, what does that mean? It means to talk about Jesus, to be a witness for Jesus, to be a bold witness for Jesus. And if you talk about Jesus to others, if you're a witness for Jesus... You acknowledge him before men, Jesus is going to acknowledge you on Judgment Day as being his. But if you fear man, if you're not a bold witness for men before men, if you deny Jesus, deny knowing him, it says Jesus will deny you on judgment day. If Jesus denies you on Judgment Day, you won't be spending eternity with him. That's what that means. Now you might think, well, the first thing that comes to my mind is, well, Peter denied Jesus. He denied him three times. He did, but he repented. He was forgiven. But there is an unforgivable sin. Verse 10, and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. I think implied if they repent. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is a sin that Jesus says will not be forgiven. An unforgiven sin is a terrible thing. Because that sends a person to spend eternity in hell, not heaven. Now, in the other Gospels, this statement of Jesus about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit was was made after the Jewish leaders accused Jesus of delivering people from demons by the power of Satan. So Jesus was delivering people from demons, casting the demons out by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he was being accused of doing it by the power of Satan. And so that sin, which cannot be forgiven, is denying the power of the Holy Spirit, attributing anything supernatural that happens to the devil. And I believe that those who commit that unforgivable sin have no desire to repent. Their thinking, their understanding of the working of God is, is completely reversed. When God works, they attribute it to the devil. And probably when the devil works, they attribute it to God. They're just completely confused and completely turned against God. They become entrenched in their unbelief and disrespect for the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus goes on to encourage his disciples and to encourage us. Verse 11, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you are to say. And so Jesus looks forward. He knew that his disciples would be persecuted. In fact, I believe, with the exception of John, every one of his disciples was martyred. Every one of the apostles was martyred, of course, the exception of Judas which is another story. And so they would have to stand before government officials who are arresting them for doing what? For doing something terrible, talking about Jesus. They would have to stand and have a defense. And he's saying, don't be afraid of what you're going to say, because on that day, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say, to be a witness for me. Whether you're released or whether you're imprisoned or ultimately as some were condemned to to death. Fearing God alone. Fearing him enough that he wants us as his disciples to choose to acknowledge him before men even if it may cost us our lives. And when we truly do fear God alone then we have the strength to be fearless witnesses for Jesus Christ. Now, Someone once asked the question, and I've remembered this question. It's something for us to think about. It's something for us to ponder. If you or I were brought up to a trial as a follower of Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict us? We are on trial and, you know, what is the evidence that you're a follower of Jesus? And the prosecution would have to find that evidence. Now, there should be enough evidence to convict us as followers of Jesus if we're bold witnesses. You see, most people would say, I will never deny Jesus. I I would never do that. And yet the temptation is to go through life worrying about what people will think about us. If we talk about Jesus. Now what will my workmates think if I talk about Jesus? You know, they might they might not like me. In fact, it could put my job in jeopardy. What will my neighbors think if I invite them over and actually talk about Jesus? I mean, maybe they'll not talk to me anymore. In fact, many of If we're not careful, many of our friends may not even know that we're a believer. We can actually deny Jesus by simply not talking about him to anybody else, by being it's not a biblical word an undercover Christian. Nobody knows, just Jesus and me. And a few people at church, of course, but Nobody knows. I just don't want to rock the boat. It might offend people. God wants us not to be obnoxious about our faith, but he wants us to share the truth about Jesus and not be afraid of what other people would think. As we grow in our fear of the Lord, our fears of being a bold witness will decrease. And God will give us opportunities. I believe he gives us opportunities all the time to talk about Him, to share with others about His goodness, to invite others to study the Bible with us, to come to church with us, whatever it may be, God wants us, as we fear Him more, to fear being a witness less and less, to become fearless witnesses for Jesus. And finally, Jesus can cons- cons- uh encourages us to consider eternity again, talking about laying up treasure in heaven. You see, as we go through this teaching of Jesus today, we are are learning that Jesus is seeking to shift our gaze from this life to eternity. And as we focus on eternity, it will impact how we live this life. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And he said to them, take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So somebody, as Jesus was teaching his disciples and the crowd of people who had gathered to talk to him, somebody called out and said, hey, I got a problem with my brother. You know, apparently the father had died and his brother it seems was keeping all the inheritance to himself and was not wanting to share it with him now jesus concern or jesus perceived this man's concern was not simply justice it had to do with covetousness he was he was greedy he simply wanted some extra money for his life. He wanted to increase his wealth. He wanted to increase his possessions. He was focused on this life, getting everything that he could rather than eternity. And usually people who focus on getting as much as they can in this life, wealth, possessions, do that because they're afraid. What are they afraid of? They're afraid of being poor. They're afraid of not having enough. They're afraid afraid of lacking in this life. They're afraid of perhaps not having as much as the neighbors or somebody else. To illustrate his point, Jesus told the crowd a story. He told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. So we have a man who was already rich that would imply he had enough to cover his own needs and some extra besides. One season he had a great harvest greater than perhaps he'd ever had before and his barns were too small to contain all of the grain that he had. And so as we see his thoughts begin here in this story what is he focused on? We see a lot of eyes. He thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He was focused not on God, obviously, no thought of God. He was focused simply on himself. There was no thoughts of giving thanks to God for this bumper crop. It was all about self-centered thoughts. And that leads continues in the next verse. The rich man in the story says, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. So the rich man again speaks of what he is going to do. God is nowhere in the mix. He uses I, my, my. And sold ten times. He looks forward to a time of not having to work anymore. Of retiring after he accumulates all of this wealth. And simply relaxing. Nothing overtly sinful in his plan, I would assume. Assuming he doesn't overindulge in any of these things. But what does God have to say about this rich man and his plans? But God said to him, verse 26, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So this rich man thought he was being very wise with this bumper crop, and yet God calls him a fool, not because he was rich, but because he laid up treasures on earth, for himself alone. And that very night, God would take this rich man's life and he would not be spending eternity with God. Rather than laying up treasures on earth for himself, Jesus is saying the man should have been laying up treasures in heaven with God. And so the rich man forgot that or perhaps he never knew that every blessing he had in life was from God. He forgot that the riches that he had, the bumper crop that he had, was a gift from God. He hadn't earned it for himself. And every person on this planet, whether they're a believer or not, the Bible says every good gift that we have in life, and God gives good gifts to believers and unbelievers is a gift from God that for which we ought to be thankful and acknowledge that everything that we have is not really ours. It's God's. It's on loan from God to us. We are to be stewards, to use the things that God entrusts to us for Him and not for ourselves. And so every blessing that we have from God, we ought to be thankful to Him and use the resources that he has given us for his purposes. And that is the key to laying up treasures in heaven. Oftentimes, so what does it mean? You know, how, can I, how can I write a check to heaven? You know, how, can I, how can I give what I have? How can I lay up my treasure in this spiritual place called heaven? It's simply using the resources that God has entrusted to you for the purposes that God has entrusted them to you for. Everything you have from God is given to you for a purpose. Of course, some of the purposes is to feed yourself and your family. Some of the purposes is to put a roof over your head. But even those things are to be used. Even the places that we live, the food that we have is to be used for the purposes that God has for them. And so the money that we make, whether it's a job that we're doing, whether it's the government giving us a check, whether it's an investment, earning interest, each of those aspects of our finances is from God. It's not ours. And God has a, has a purpose for everything that he entrusts to us. And we know from other teachings of Jesus, he gives different amounts to different people give so many talents to this person, another amount of talents to that person, other talents to this person, and they're different amounts. We mustn't be jealous of those who have more. Each person is required by God to use what he has given to us for God's purposes, and as we do that, it lays up treasure in heaven. And what is that treasure? It's, it's rewards that we're going to enjoy one day in heaven with Jesus. If we use what God has entrusted to us. Only for our desires. For our wants. Then we become like this man. We, we are foolish. We're not using what God has given us. We're not thinking of eternity. Why do people lay up treasures on earth? They're afraid. Right? They're afraid that they're going to be poor. They put their trust in their treasures rather than in God. God doesn't want us to do that. Disciples who fear God lay up treasures in heaven. Our trust is in God. He will take care of us. And so this morning we've learned a lot about the fear of the Lord from Jesus. The fear of the Lord sets us free from fearing anything else. When we truly fear God, we don't need to worry at all. We fear God. We obey him. He takes care of us. It's as simple as that. The fear of the Lord gives us the power to be fearless witnesses for Jesus. Whenever his spirit prompts us, whenever he gives us an opportunity, we share the words that he's put in our hearts with those around us. We don't need to be afraid. The fear of the Lord helps us to focus our priorities on eternity. As we think about eternity, what it's going to be like, As we order our lives here and now in light of eternity, it helps us to live for Jesus each and every day. When we focus on eternity, we lay up our treasures in heaven, not on the earth. We take care of our earthly responsibilities with the resources that God has for us, and we lay up treasures in heaven. And in fact, taking care of our earthly responsibilities is laying up treasures in heaven as well as we use the things God has entrusted to us for his purposes. So my prayer is that God would help each one of us, myself included, to grow in the fear of the Lord. And not to fear, not to worry about anything else. Now to truly fear God, that begins by submitting your life. To Jesus Christ. And if you're listening to me online. I'd encourage you to think about. Becoming a believer or. Recommitting your life to Jesus Christ. This morning. To do that. You need to repent. Turn away from. The life that. Consisted of sin. Doing things. Contrary to God's will. Repent. Turn away from those things. Believe that Jesus died on the cross that your sins might be forgiven, and submitting your life to follow him the rest of your day. So I'd like to ask us all to bow our heads right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer, committing our lives for the first time to Jesus, or recommitting our lives to him this morning. I'd encourage you to pray along with me something like this. Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've done things that were selfish. I've done things that were hurtful to others. I've done things that hurt you. And I repent. I turn away from those things. I believe Jesus died on the cross that my sins might be forgiven. Please forgive me. I believe you rose from the dead. And I commit my life to following him as my Lord and Savior. And let's also pray about what Jesus taught us today. Father, we thank you for teaching us to fear you alone. We thank you for teaching us that there is one fear that we should have in life. It's the fear of God. The fear of God that helps us to walk a holy life. The fear of God that helps us to walk in light of eternity. May we fear you alone. Forgive us for ordering our lives based on worrying about things or fearing what might happen or fears of all kinds that come as temptations into our minds. Help us to fear you alone and to trust you. That we don't need to worry or fear about our needs that you're going to provide for everything we need in this life. And as we grow in our fear of you, God, help us to be fearless witness for, witnesses for you. We pray that you would give us opportunities to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. And give us the courage, the boldness to take advantage of those opportunities that you're going to give to us. We pray that you give us opportunities in this coming week. And give us the Words to say, to acknowledge you before people. God, we thank you for all the resources that you've given to us in this life. The money that you've given to us, the, the transportation that you've given to us, the houses that we live in, wherever we live, places that we live. We thank you for all those things, the clothes that we wear, God. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us not to concentrate on those things, but to be thankful for those things and to use each and every one for your purposes. Help us to lay up treasures in heaven in everything we do that other people may come to know you, that we would bring Many friends, many relatives with us to heaven as we use the resources that you've entrusted to us for your purposes. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We are going to have a, a brief time of healing prayer. Let's look at this promise of Jesus in John 15, verse 7. It says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask. Whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. That's a pretty uh, blank check, isn't it? What's the condition? We need to abide in him and his words abide in us. When we do that, the things we ask for are going to be the things he desires. They're going to be according to his will. When we pray according to his will, our prayers will be answered each and every time in God's timing. So we're going to pray for healing this morning. Uh, There really are, I'm aware of, a, a lot of people in our church family who are not here, who are struggling with illnesses of various kinds, either in their lives or in a near relative that they're caring for. And so we're going to lift those up as well. If you have a need for healing in your life or you know someone who's uh, close to you that needs healing, I'd like to ask you to raise your hand so that we can pray for you. We, uh, whatever it may be, we want to pray. There's a need for healing in your life or someone close to you. All right. Well, you can join with me. We're going to pray, and I'm going to pray uh, for the needs in our church family as well. And uh, so let's pray. I encourage you to join along with me. Father, today we thank you for your promise. We abide in you. We know that it's your will to heal. We see that in the ministry of Jesus, and we pray, God, for your healing power to go forth as we pray together this morning. We pray for those in our church family, God, that need healing, God. We pray for Jerry, who was in the hospital this past week and should be coming home today. We pray for a complete healing, God, Complete healing in her life, God, of of this uh, virus that she's had. We pray for a complete healing, God, of the cancer that she's battling. In Jesus' name, God. Uh, we pray for those others in our church family. We pray for Elizabeth and Alex, whose mother is not doing well. And they're caring for her almost night and day, God. We pray for healing upon Alex's mother, God, in Jesus' name. Uh, We pray, God, for Carolyn who is not feeling well, Lord. We pray that you would bring healing, health, and strength into her body this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray. We pray for anyone else, God, who is struggling with any type of illness, God. We pray for strength, we pray for healing. We pray for wholeness. In Jesus' name, amen.